Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Highliner Foods Incorporated conference call for results of the first quarter of 2021. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press the star key followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Tuesday, May 18th, 2021 at two o'clock PM Eastern time for replay purposes. I would, I would now like to turn the call over to Charlene Milner, Vice President of Finance for Highliner Foods. Ms. Milner, please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the Highliner Foods conference call today to discuss our financial results for the first quarter of 2021. On the call from Highliner Foods are Rod Heppenstahl, President and Chief Executive Officer from our office in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Paul Jewer, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer from our office in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In a moment, I'll pass the call over to Rod for some remarks on our performance in the first quarter and the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on our business before handing over to Paul, who will review the financial performance for the first quarter. Rod will then make some final remarks before opening the call up for questions. I would like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results, as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MDNA. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future. Actual operating or financial results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highliner Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause its anticipated outcomes to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and annual information form. Please note that Highliner Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the first quarter ended April 3, 2021. That news release, along with the company's MD&A and unaudited condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the first quarter of 2021, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the Investor Center section of the Highliner Foods website. If you'd like to register to receive our news re- releases in the future, please visit the company's website to register. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars, and therefore the results to be discussed today are also stated in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. Highliner Foods common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod for his opening remarks. Hello and thank you for joining us today to discuss our results for the first quarter of 2021. 
I would like to start the call today by reiterating our ongoing commitment to the health and safety of all our employee, our people during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. This absolutely remains our top priority, especially across our plants and warehouses, which operated without interruption this quarter. As we continue to safeguard our people, we are collectively doing our part to bring the pandemic to an end. To further this cause, last month we hosted our first on-site vaccination clinic at one of our facilities. We will continue to work with public health authorities to host on-site vaccination clinics, while also supporting local clinics within the communities in which we operate. We will also provide paid time off for employees to get vaccinated to support the overall effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. Turning now to our performance in the first quarter. Overall, despite the ongoing uncertainty and volatility of the global supply chain, our business remains resilient. Like other operators in the retail and food service space, our performance metrics are clouded by year-over-year -year comparison. Market conditions in the first quarter of 2021 were significantly different than the first quarter of 2020, which only contained a few weeks of COVID-19 impact. Despite the seasonality of our business peaking in Q1, we are encouraged to see quarter-to-quarter -quarter volume growth over the past 12 months of the pandemic. As we drive towards our goal of North American leadership in value-added seafood, we are focused on long-term performance and value creation for our shareholders. We advanced these objectives in the first quarter by increasing gross profit as a percentage of sales, selling more of our most profitable branded value-added products, winning targeted business, expanding our retail distribution in the U.S., investing in marketing and innovation, and improving our cash flow. As a result, we remain confident in both the resilience of our business and our potential to continue to drive adjusted EBITDA growth over the course of the year. But first, I will hand the call over to Paul to walk us through our financial performance for the first quarter. Paul, over to you. Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the first quarter of 2021 are relative to the first quarter of 2020, unless otherwise noted. Before getting into the financial results, I'd like to remind listeners that in March of 2021, the company repriced its term loan facility to decrease the applicable interest rates for loans under, under the facility with all other material terms remaining unchanged. As a result of this amendment, the company expects to save approximately $2 million in annual cash interest expense at current borrowings and LIBOR rates. The amendment to the facility was not assessed as a substantial modification for accounting purposes, and as a result, the deferred finance costs related to the original facility continued to be amortized over the remaining term. In addition, the company incurred finance costs of $900,000. As the net present value of the cash flows of the modified debt was lower than the carrying value of the original facility before the amendment, a modification gain of $7.8 million was recorded in finance costs on the consolidated statement of income during the 13 weeks ended April 3rd, 2021. The modification gain has been excluded from adjusted net income and adjusted diluted earnings per share and is a non-cash item. Sales volume decreased in the first quarter by 7.5 million pounds to 69.8 million pounds. In our food service business, sales volume was lower due to the impact of COVID-19 on our food service customers for the entire first quarter of 2021, whereas COVID-19 only impacted the first quarter of 2020, beginning in late March. In our retail business, sales volume was lower due to the surge in demand related to COVID-19 in the last two weeks of March 2020 that did not repeat 
during the first quarter of 2021. The decline in sales volume was partially offset by new business and new product sales. Sales in U.S. dollars decreased in the first quarter by $25.2 million to $243.4 million due to lower volume already discussed, partially offset by a change in sales mix. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar in the first quarter of 2021 compared to the same quarter in 2020 increased the value of reported U.S. dollar sales from our Canadian dollar-denominated operations by approximately $3.2 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Gross profit decreased in the first quarter by $1.1 million to $57.7 million. However, gross profit as a percentage of sales increased by 180 basis points to 23.7% as compared to 21.9% in the first quarter of 2020. Gross profit reflects the lower sales volume previously discussed, partially offset by favorable changes in product mix, leading to the improved gross profit as a percentage of sales. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported U.S. dollar gross profit from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $900,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Adjusted EBITDA decreased in the first quarter by $2.9 million to $27.8 million, and adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales remained consistent with the prior year at 11.4%. The decrease in adjusted EBITDA is a result of the decrease in gross profit and an increase in distribution and net SG&A expenses. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported adjusted EBITDA in U.S. dollars from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $500,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Reported net income increased in the first quarter by $3.6 million to $17.8 million, and diluted earnings per share increased by $0.10 to $0.51. The increase in net income reflects a decrease in finance costs related to the gain on modification of debt previously mentioned and a decrease in income tax expense partially offset by the decrease in adjusted EBITDA and an increase in share-based compensation. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses, which are explained in our MD&A, adjusted net income in the first quarter of 2021 decreased by $200,000 or 1.4% to $14.1 million. And, and correspondingly, adjusted diluted earnings per share decreased by $0.01 cent to $0.40. Cents. Turning now to cash flows from operations in the balance sheet. Net cash flows provided by operating activities in the first quarter of 2021 increased by $24.6 million to an inflow of $26.6 million compared to an inflow of $2 million in the same period in 2020 due to favorable changes in net non-cash working capital partially offset by lower cash flows from operations. The favorable changes in net non-cash working capital are the result of more favorable changes in accounts payable and accrued liabilities and accounts receivable, partially offset by less favorable changes in, in inventories. Net debt at the end of 2021 decreased by $23.2 million to $244.8 million, compared to $268 million at the end of fiscal 2020 primarily reflecting repayments of long-term debt during the first quarter of 2021. 
Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 2.9 times at April 3rd, 2021, compared to three times at the end of fiscal 2020. In the absence of any major acquisitions or unplanned capital expenditures in 2021, we expect this ratio to remain below the company's long-term target of three times at the end of fiscal 2021. We remain confident in our liquidity position as a result of prudent cash management, the early refinancing of our debt in Q4 2019, and the term loan facility repricing in March 2021. We do not have any impending debt maturities and will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital credit facility if required. The company currently has no borrowings on this facility. That concludes my financial review, and I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening up the call to questions. Rod. Thank you, Paul. Now for some color on our operations and strategic advancements during the quarter. As I've shared on previous calls, we are making significant incremental investments in marketing, and this is starting to show positive results. We've activated digital, TV, and print media campaigns focusing on our chef-crafted sea cuisine and are continuing to drive traction with our Seafood is Better campaign for our Highliner brand in Canada. Aided by this marketing investment, we are particularly pleased with the performance of our U.S. sea cuisine brand and are adding packaging capabilities to support the growth of products that are performing exceptionally well. Looking ahead, we can expect more investments in both direct-to-consumer marketing and our plants, with anticipated capital expenditures of approximately $20 million. The increased investment in our business will help drive further profitability and top-line growth. Once again, our miso glazed cod was our standout this quarter. This product is is selling very well both sides of the border and contributing to year-over-year branded value-added growth this quarter. We had continued new business wins this quarter for branded value-added products of major U.S. retailers. I'm always excited by distribution gains in the U.S. market as I see significant upside for us here and a category ripe for expansion. Turning to our food service business, we are thrilled to see signs of post-pandemic recovery this quarter. We know that consumers are keen to return to restaurant dining and that seafood is sorely missed, a sorely missed menu item from dining out. Not surprisingly, it is service restaurants and casual dining establishments that are driving the reemergence of food service volume right now. We expect that to broaden across other areas of food service as the pandemic restrictions are lifted and we start the back to routine period. As a key supplier, we have a front row seat to the challenges operators are facing in the current environment and they are significant. We are there to support our food service customers with quick pivots and well-suited product offerings. We also get to see firsthand the benefit that our branded value-added products are providing. I have no doubt that the opportunity for operators to reduce labor costs and spoilage risks with our products is a factor alongside with taste and value that is helping us drive sales of our branded value-added products. We are also well positioned to capitalize on the surge in food service demand as a result of our strong relationships with leading distributors in the industry. As we discussed in our news release, our industry, along with many others, is currently being impacted by challenges in the global supply chain. We are prepared for these challenges in the macro trade, trade environment to inevitably impact our near-term future performance. That said, we are also optimistic that our robust supply chain and diversified portfolio will help us mitigate any potential impact and potentially give us a competitive advantage over others in the industry at a time of supply constraints. There is no doubt that supply chain challenges not only issues 
not, not the only issue impacting our customers and suppliers as the pandemic drags on. We recognize that, recognize that this is an extremely testing time for all of our stakeholders, and we are doing all we can to be adaptable to the evolving needs and ensure we are there to support them. We will continue to do so with strong sense of purpose, of, with our strong sense of our new purpose of reimagining seafood to nourish life. As we said at our annual general meeting of our shareholders earlier this morning, we are committed to living our purpose and our values and in creating an inclusive, equitable, and diverse workplace with a relentless focus on health, safety, and the well-being of our employees. Overall, I am pleased with the progress we are making against our goal to become the leader in branded value-added seafood in North America, and I'm confident that we will continue on this trajectory and deliver adjusted EBITDA growth in 2021. With that, I will hand the call over to the operator for a brief question and answer period. I look forward to your questions. Operator, please start the Q&A. Thank you. To ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from George Dumet with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, George. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, guys. I just wanted to, um, to talk a little bit about your global supply challenges that you've called out, Rod. Can you, can you maybe give us a little bit more color on that? Uh, and do you expect those to have an impact at all in terms of our ability to secure supply? If so, maybe what kind of supply? Well, George, I have to say I've been very pleased with the work that we've done over the last, uh, call it 18 months, to diversify our supply chain and, quite frankly, uh, put us in the position where we have significant resilience. Um, I would say that we're facing many of the same issues as other organizations as it relates to the logistics piece, but our scale uh, diversification not only in uh, regions in which we uh, procure but also species I think has put us somewhat in an advantageous position as it relates to our competitors, and we fully intend on taking advantage of that. So does that mean you guys expect to have all the necessary supplies to, to, um, to basically uh, you know, for the sales levels you're, you're planning this year? Yeah, we'll, 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 with, without question, we'll have some short-term um, you know, challenges that we'll have to manage through, but we don't anticipate any significant impact uh, throughout the year. Okay, and can you talk to maybe the level of inflation that you're seeing within those inputs, um, like this year versus last? Is it is it mid single digits? Is it high single digits? Is it double digits? Yeah, Paul, I don't have that number right offhand. Um, I know we have been uh, certainly. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, so on, on seafood costs, uh, George, there's there's really very little uh, inflation. Uh, the supply is still good, um, and demand is down in many parts of the world. The issue on the on the supply chain side really is the logistical time it takes to get that product uh, from market to North America because of some of the delays we've seen in international shipping in particular. Um, where we have seen inflation is on transportation costs. So uh, international shipping and domestic uh, transportation uh, has, has been inflationary. Uh, a lot's been inflationary across the industry, not just limited to us. And, and in those cases, we have been uh, having to pass on price uh, to our customers to uh, cover those cost increases. So we don't see them having a negative impact on our margins as we uh, move forward. Okay, that's great. Um, and, and then we're halfway through Q2. Can you maybe talk 
about you know the, the resurgence that you, you guys are seeing in food service? Is it is it um, is it across the U.S. Is it just in certain pockets and, and maybe as a whole, would you see that kind of the, the higher food service volume starting to offset some of the retail volume decline that we're seeing? I, I guess I imagine as we go through Q2. Yeah, George, um, I, I will tell you the there is um, certainly a, a rapidly changing uh, consumer uh, environment out there as we see consumers moving from you know uh, retail back into food service uh, and vice versa. Uh, and I would tell you, across the North American basis, there are varying degrees of, you know, certainly what is open. Certainly in the Canadian market, we are seeing uh, provinces, um, you know, having much more restriction than in other parts of uh, North America. Uh, but even within the states, we are seeing um, restaurants and the full food service channel opening at different times. So there's been a lot written about uh, restaurants reopening, uh, but in many parts of the states, they are still at 25 or 50 percent capacity. But we have to think about the food service uh, industry in its totality. Uh, one of the many strengths of Highliners we've talked about through the pandemic is the diversification of the channels we sell. So, you know, as we see non-com or schools reemerge, um, we anticipate uh, that being a significant lift for us as well as we, we do very well on those channels. But we're very optimistic about the, uh, the reopening of, uh, of restaurants and the food service channel in general, given our scale. Uh, in the in the category. Okay, great. And last one for me, Rod. On, on the U.S. plant, uh, we're currently operating. Uh, I'm just wondering, are you seeing any supply constraints on the labor side? Is, is, it, is it, you know, is that becoming more and more of an issue? Um, yeah, just your thoughts, there, first. Thanks. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we're having any significant issues, but we're certainly in tune with market conditions and the uh, the need to be a, a supply or a yeah, employer of choice. So, uh, you know, we are taking the necessary steps to ensure that we have, uh, we have the quality of labor, labor but also the, uh, the, uh, the quantity of labor. Okay, thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Lammers with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Jonathan, thank you. Afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, on the U.S. marketing expense, maybe first for Paul, can you break out how much of the growth in SG&A uh, market, the increased marketing expense represented this quarter, and how much of that you see continuing over the balance of the year? Yeah, so year over year, the growth in SG&A is related to uh, marketing expense in the U.S. That is the primary driver, um, and you should expect to see that continue uh, through the course of uh, the year. Uh, we are investing uh, to uh, to grow our business, uh, and uh, we did that in the first quarter, and we'll continue to do that. And Rod, are there any further indications you can share with us as to how this is driving higher sales? Uh, my my impression is. Maybe we didn't see all the fruits of this uh, in the volumes in Q1. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's fair, given given my comments earlier regarding the uh, uh, the real dynamic Q1 as an over uh, an overlap period as well as the, the channel shift. I think the the most uh, pertinent example would be the work that we've done specifically around our Chef Crafted Sea Cuisine brand. Um, as we've talked about uh, several quarters ago, we invested in not only the digital uh, resources, in other words, hired staff to support us in that area, um, we are uh, more pointed at our digital marketing, direct-to-consumer, and other forms of uh, consumer insights to drive that. We've seen growth 
uh, very pleased with the growth of our uh, chef-crafted sea cuisine brand in the U.S. I think that'd be a great example for us. And we continue, we will continue um, on that path of re investing in uh, digital TV and other campaigns to drive consumer awareness. Okay. And the press release mentions uh, capacity investments you're making to support successful products. Uh, could you maybe speak to an example or two of those and, uh, you know, how you see those supporting the coming surge in demand from the food service channel? Yeah, in, in that case, it's actually less about uh, supporting the oncoming food service demand. We're well positioned to meet the food service demand. Um, in a couple of cases, it's actually uh, creating uh, even more resiliency in our supply chain, so ensuring that uh, across all three plants we have uh, what we need, particularly on the packaging end, uh, to, uh, to meet uh, what we believe uh, are our volume opportunities going forward, um, and investing in capability around packaging to do some uh, packaging that we've uh, really focused on for growth uh, over the last uh, uh, few quarters, including uh, our Sea uh, Cuisine uh, skin pack uh, products uh, and some smaller format sizes, two packs instead of four packs. Uh, so uh, an investment that we uh, are, uh, are pursuing in order to support our growth. Okay, and Paul, over the balance of the year, uh, like how much product mix do you see shifting back toward uncoated products from value add as, uh, as food service recovers? And, and what would you see happening if food service went all the way back to pre-pandemic levels? Uh, well, when food service goes back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, which we believe it will, uh, we don't anticipate that we will um, go back to the mix that we had previously because a lot of focus for our growth has been on branded value added. Uh, so we see some of the mix shifts that we've seen being uh, more permanent in nature. Uh, and uh, that, that has uh, been the case even as we've seen some recovery in food service as we talked about uh, in Q1 and particularly as we moved into uh, into Q2. We will see some unprocessed business come back. We want to see some unprocessed business come back uh, as the recovery and food service continues, uh, but uh, we're really very focused on growing branded value added, so we'll, we'll continue to benefit from that mix shift as we move forward. Couldn't happen to have the uh, mix of value added in Q1 by any chance, would you? I believe you previously uh, shared with us that value add with 70% of the mix for full year 2020. Yeah, I do have that number uh, and it's 70, it was actually 74% uh, in Q1 of 2021. It was 68% in Q1 of 2020. So uh, and it, uh, we, we remained higher in value added in the, in the first quarter. Okay, I'll pass the line. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, John. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Kyle McPhee with Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Hi, everyone. Uh, on the new product launches and clients that you delivered success with through, through all of last year, I'm hoping you can quantify um, how much year-over-year growth came from this type of stuff uh, in the Q1 you just reported, if you kind of isolate it on a standalone basis. You, you've said throughout last year you were delivering about 2% year-over-year from this stuff uh, in, in 2020. So wondering if you're still building on that 2% and if so, by, by how much on a kind of ballpark basis? 
Yeah, it uh, it was higher in uh, in Q1 than the two percent, um, driven partially uh, by uh, some uh, growth in private label. Actually, uh, in Q1, if you exclude the private label piece, uh, it was pretty consistent uh, with uh, with prior quarters uh, and just over two uh, percent. Uh, and again, primarily in branded value added um, innovation growth across. Uh, a number of key categories for us, but would certainly uh, continue to highlight um, skin pack uh, and uh, appetizers um, as, as being uh, two important uh, uh, focus segments for us, as well as value-added shrimp being another area that we're, that we're continuing to focus for innovative growth. Got it. Thanks for that. Uh, and a, a follow-up on just helping us quantify the, the U.S. food service rebound uh, that's happening in the market right now. Can, can you, we know what your U.S. sales are. Can you uh, remind us what the food service exposure is in the U.S. in, in kind of a normalized non-COVID type environment? Uh, so food service in the U.S. in Q1 was about 60% of our, uh, uh, let me just make sure I got that right. Uh, yeah, food service is about 60% of our total uh, sales, uh, 40% uh, for retail. Got it. Uh, okay. So presumably food service used to be much higher though before COVID. Is, is that right in the U.S.? That's correct. Yeah, food service would have been as high as uh, 70% um, in uh, for the company as a whole, uh, even a little over 70% in the U.S. Uh, pre-COVID. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that, Kyler. That's it for me. Thanks. Have a great day. I'm showing no further questions at this time. I will now turn it back to Rod Heppenstall for closing remarks. To close, I want to thank you for joining the call today, and we look forward to updating you with results from the second quarter of 2021 on our next conference call in August. Please stay safe and well. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.